This is Brian Hoke, and you're listening to the Mike Sappho Podcast. What's going on, bud? How are you? Good to finally talk to you, Mike. I've been looking forward to being on the podcast for a long time. I hope so, Brian, because I thought you were ducking me. I've been trying to get you on since I read your first book, and now we're close to the release of your second book. So I don't know where you've been the past uh, seven months. <laughs> yeah, it's been hard to find a day where we're both in the same spot. And uh, yeah, I, I would rather obviously do it in person, but uh, we'll settle for telephone. I'm down here in Tampa, and uh, you're up there in the cold and the snow in New York. So I, I think I'm winning this round uh, against you. So I think you saying that I'm up here in the snow in New York answers my next question, because I was going to be like, how long does the luster of the Florida weather, the green grass, when does that spring training wear off and you just want the season to start and you come back up north? Yeah, I think personally I'm in no hurry to get back up there, to be honest with you. I, I just I know March 28 at Yankee Stadium, it's going to be cold as heck, I, I would imagine, against the Orioles. So uh, I, there is an itch to kind of get start watching games that matter, I think, but um, with three weeks to go down here, and um, you know, if I'm looking out the window right now, and I'm looking at Tampa Bay, and there's boats going by and stuff, and I'm pretty happy where I am, to be honest with you. I think about a week or so more is when the players start to get itchy and um, just want to get up there and, and really feel ready. Because spring training for the pitchers anyway. Um, you know, the hitters generally feel ready to go uh, early in camp, so it's really for the pitchers to build up stamina and velocity and. Um, we're, it's getting there. It's getting close. March 28th is just around the corner. And now we connected on Goodreads because I read your first book uh, about the baby bombers, which we're going to get to. But you want to talk some Yankee baseball first? Absolutely. Let's do it. How is our ace? Because you mentioned March 28th. We all thought Severino would be on the mound. Obviously, he's missing that start. How is Sevy? Uh, he's doing okay. He just got a cortisone shot. And, um, you know, I think that the Yankees feel like they dodged a bullet here. Um, I, I think, you know, obviously anytime you have a pitcher, especially your ace warming up in the bullpen and getting ready for his first start of the spring and um, feels a little something, snaps off a slider and has to cut it short and winds up not pitching that day, um, you're, you're concerned. But I, I, the MRI showed right rotator cuff inflammation for him, which, uh, you know, I mean, I guess it's the best possible outcome. You're, you're not talking about a shoulder tear or something like that. So. Uh, he should be back on the mound at some point in April. They, uh, like I said, they gave him a cortisone injection, and uh, he's going to take two weeks off without throwing. But I would think by the end of April, probably somewhere around April 15, maybe a week after that, you're going to see Severino back on a big league mound, and you're going to see CeCe uh, Sabathia back on the mound as well. So uh, the Yankee rotation that we all envision should be whole by the end of April. It's just going to take a little longer to get there than we thought it would. Now, one of my biggest, I guess, concerns, I say it like I'm a part of the front office, but as a huge Yankee fan, was that Severino dominated the first half of the season. The second half, he was, mm-hmm. eh, nothing great. Were they trying to correct anything with the you know, the rumors of the tipping of the pitchers, any of that, um, before the injury? Uh, they were working on it. It's something that Severino's battled throughout his entire career, tipping pitches. And, you know, the thing is with... In Major League Baseball, you've got so many eyes and so many video cameras. I mean, it's easy to pick up if you're giving something away, and I think that he was. Um, it's something that he and Larry Rothschild were working on even before uh, we got towards September and October in the postseason where it really became a problem. But, uh, yeah, he was a completely different pitcher. I think there was more to it than just that. I think that, um, yeah, he came out of the gate firing so hot. I think he was 14-2. and two. Um, and then he kind of finished the year, and he was just not the same pitcher. But we were talking about him as a Cy Young candidate, and I think uh, he, he was one of the front runners for sure. So 
he needs to recapture that form. I think that uh, it's going to be a challenge now, especially he's losing all of spring training. He's going to have to really play catch-up. Uh, I'm curious to see how he's going to do because we haven't seen him pitch yet. Uh, you know, I saw him pitch on a backfield one day, and he was facing Giancarlo Stanton and Gary Sanchez, and he, he looked like Severino again. But um, now I, I think the clock is ticking, and you're waiting to see what he can be when he gets back. I'm sure he's going to pitch in some minor league games before he gets back to Yankee Stadium. So, look, the Yankees need Severino. I, I think that, um, you know, they've got this power bullpen, but uh, you, you need that front-line rotation guy. And, uh, you know, they feel good with Jay Happ, and they feel good uh, with James Paxton, what he can bring in. But without Severino and Nasir Tanaka, who's probably going to be their opening day starter, but without Severino, uh, that – feels a real blow to this rotation and uh, you know they they need Severino to, to get where they want to go which is the World Series championship two weeks from opening day a little more than two weeks are they content with the pitching staff like you said with Paxton Tanaka no moves no Dallas no Geo I I, I kind of feel like it's not going to happen at this point you know especially with Teichel I think that if it, if there was going to be any kind of connection between them and Dallas Teichel it would have happened by now um, they made it clear that they prioritized first Patrick Corbin. That, that didn't work out. They didn't want to give him six years. But then they went with Jay Happ. And, uh, I, I think that uh, they they have some serious concerns about Keuchel. You look at his uh, his numbers. A lot of the analytics show that he's kind of in decline here. And uh, with what he's looking for as a Scott Boris guy, which is you know a four or five year deal, I, I think that the Yankees just do not want to touch that right now. So I, I think that. Uh, look at the fact that the Astros are only offering him one or two years. Uh, you know, who knows him better than the Astros? So I think I, I would read into that and say uh, they probably know something that's up. I think the Yankees have seen it too. So I don't see Dallas Keuchel coming to the Yankees. I think Gio Gonzalez still could be in play. If he's a guy who's willing to take a one-year deal, uh, maybe, you know, two or $3 million, I, I think there's no reason you don't do that. But uh, for the most part, I think that the Yankees are set right now with what they have. And uh, they feel content going forward. They've got Domingo Herman and Jonathan Weisiger. Those guys can start the season in the rotation. And um, like I said, you're, you're expecting to get Sabathia and Severino back in April. So I don't think you want to make a panic move just because you're losing those guys for two or three weeks. I think you wrote it, uh, wrote an article, and you just mentioned Tanaka most likely going to get the nod for opening day. There hasn't been much chatter about Paxton. And I was really stoked when we got him. I was all pumped up. In Seattle, he was good. Why no, uh, why no chatter about him lately? Uh, there should be. I, I think the Yankee fans should definitely be excited about what they have there. Um, you know, seen him pitch now two or three times here in spring training. He's looked good. Um, I, I think, look, this is a guy who pitched a no-hitter last year when he was with Seattle at Toronto. Um, I, I, <laughs> unflappable nature. I mean, the guy had a bald eagle land on his shoulder <laughs> during the national anthem, and he barely flinched. So I, I think that pitching in New York City is not going to be a problem for him. And um, what I've seen from him is just kind of a quiet confidence. He shows up, he does his work, and um, I, I think as long as he stays healthy, and that's been the question with Paxton, you know, I think he's had five stints on the DL in the last three years, and uh, so that's a concern. But uh, when he's healthy and when he's right, I mean, this guy, he's a frontline starter, and I feel like with Severino and Paxton, that's as good a one-two punch as you can have in Major League Baseball right now. And uh, if you're going into a postseason series with those two guys and then you can pick between Tanaka, Hap, um, Sabathia if you wanted to, uh, you feel pretty good about your chances going into a playoff series, especially with the bullpen that the Yankees have because that really is where their, uh, their bread and butter is right now. Hands down, the best in baseball, that bullpen, right? Agreed. I, I Absolutely. I think it, it just got better and – 
Um, you know, I think that Yankee fans may not have known Adam Ottavino too much because he was pitching in the National League West with Colorado, but just seeing this guy up close, uh, seeing how he goes about his business, that slider, I mean, it's got like a video game break. You know, I, I grew up playing those uh, MLB The Show and stuff like that, and you'd say, oh, you never see pitches move like that. This guy makes them move like that. So it's it's been pretty cool to watch, and uh, I think he's going to give American League batters fits because some of those videos you watch him pitching in Colorado, they're pretty ridiculous. How many spring trainings is this for you? Man, um, well, I started – doing the Mets actually like way back in the day and uh, so I think my first spring training with the Mets was 2002 so yeah I mean we're talking like the years of Mo Vaughn and Kevin Apier and <laughs> I mean some bad Met teams and so uh, yeah so I lived through all of that my first Yankee spring training was 07 which was Joe Torre's final year um, so yeah I, I feel like I should definitely be filing my taxes in the state of Florida. I've spent enough time here, uh, for sure. I, I mean, literally years of my life, I have lived in Tampa, uh, a place where I've never lived. So, uh, yeah, definitely, I know my way around Tampa for sure, and um, you know, know where you'd rather be in February and March. You grew up a Yankees fan or a Mets fan? That's a weird story. I actually started out as a Yankee fan. Okay. Uh, you know, Mattingly was my guy. Mattingly was my guy. Um, and then the strike happened in 94, and I kind of became disillusioned with baseball. That hurt. I, you know, I was 12 years old at the time, so, um, you know, I, I started watching other sports, football. I mean, the Rangers won the Stanley Cup that year. Um, so, you know, I, I started getting into other things, and I really kind of lost touch with baseball for a year or two. And then in 96, my dad was a Met fan. Uh, my, my grandpa was a Brooklyn Dodgers fan back in the day, so I think they were kind of pushing – National League ball on me. And, okay. You know, they're like, hey, you got to watch you got to watch these Mets teams. You know, they got Jason Isringhausen, and Bill Pulsifer, Paul Wilson. Oh, Generation K. Like, you, yeah, I mean, this is going to be huge. You want to see this? And I was like, all right, great, awesome. And um, you know, you know what the rest of the story is. 1996, 1998, 1999, 2000. Those are my high school years. So being a Mets fan, growing up in suburban New York, um, watching the Yankees win every single year. Um, yeah, I, I kind of wish I had been on the other side there, but now I am. So here I am, you know, and now I get to live every single day with the Yankees. Generic question, kind of. But how do you become a? How do you become like involved baseball writing, baseball reporting? Yeah, that. Um, yeah, I, I always get questions like that from high school kids and college kids who want to do what I, what I do, and and there's really no set formula for it. I have no idea how I wound up doing this because, like I said, '96, I was a Met fan and. Uh, just right time, right place. I mean, I'm 14 years old. I'm in high school, and um, the internet is becoming a thing in '96. You remember dial-up modems and AOL and mm -hmm. all that. And I, I realized there's no Mets.com, there's no MLB.com at that time, and there's really nowhere to go. And like I said, I was I was starting to get into the Mets, and so I started what I think you would say today is a blog, but we didn't have that word in 1996 there was really nowhere on the internet to go to read Mets stuff. And I, for some reason I decided I, I like writing. I love baseball. Like let's see if I can just kind of build and build and build. And, um, you know, I, I grew an audience and at some point we were getting like 10,000, 15,000 hits a day on the website. Uh, this became a, a real thing. And it told me that journalism was, it was cool, man. This was my ticket to the big leagues. I, I felt like I was connected to it somehow. And, um, in 2000, when I was in high school, 
the Mets took notice. They had launched Mets.com about a year earlier, and uh, they were struggling to get that off the ground. And I, I guess somebody in the front office said, why don't we just get this kid to come in here, and maybe he can help us out. And so they offered me an unpaid internship, and I got to go to Shea Stadium. I graduated high school. One week later, I'm at Shea Stadium in the clubhouse, and um, just I felt like I had snuck in the back door. I mean, I did. I felt like I did not belong in there. I remember walking into Bobby Valentine's office, and my head got flushed, man. I was like, why I do not belong in here? Like, But um, it, it was just cool, and obviously that was a great year to be around baseball, and um, the, the Mets wound up winning the pennant that year and going up against the Yankees in the World Series, and I had a front-row seat for all of it. And so – once I got into that, I said, I am never letting this door close. So um, whatever I had to do to make sure that I somehow stayed around baseball, I was going to do it. What was the name of your site? It was called Mets Online. So, yeah. Dude, that's a great suit. <laughs> and it's still, if you Google it, it's, I think it's still out there, frozen in time from 2002 when, we, when I finally stopped it. But, um, yeah, it was just, uh, I mean, that was, my, that was my entry into the world of, of baseball for sure. And I think it started out very modestly. It was just kind of like, Hey, I like baseball. Like <laughs> here's, here's what yesterday's final score was. And um, at some point we started putting up trade rumors and photos and um, you know, we had a message board and uh, I mean, very primitive today for what you would call it. But in, in the late nineties, this was what the internet was. So yeah, it definitely punched my ticket for sure. And it's funny, bro. Cause I, you know, I started messing around doing the podcast and then I got an Opie's radar from Opie and Anthony and I was the biggest Opie and Anthony fan. And now I work with him and it's still surreal. I'm like, wow. like we're sitting down here. I'm in the office with him yesterday after he like interviewed Shane McMahon and Bill Burr. And I'm in the studio with him. Oh, that's and, cool. and as I leave, I'm like, how am I working with Opie? Like, I still feel like I don't belong. So I know the feeling of walking into these studios like, holy crap, how am I with these dudes, right? <laughs> right. I can't believe they're letting me in here and somebody's <laughs> not tapping me on the shoulder and saying, sir, you know, you got to get out of here. But, and I still kind of feel like that once in a while. You know, I feel like, you know, every day I go to, to the ballpark and I'm, I'm the luckiest guy in the world. I get to go watch baseball and get paid for it. So, I mean, what, what more is there than that? I mean, that's what I dreamed of growing up and I'm living it every day. Talking about coming on the radar, you came on my radar. Obviously, I knew who you are from MLB and the Yankees, but then I read your book, The Baby Bombers, The Inside Story of the Next Yankee Dynasty. Uh, the title really summarizes it, but tell me about why you did the book and what you learned from the book. I'm always curious what authors learn from like when they write the book. Anything surprise you? Okay. Um, well, let me start with why we did the book. Well, somebody approached me, uh, Diversion Books approached me early in that season, and you remember Aaron Judge is, this is 2017, and mm -hmm. Judge is setting the world on fire. He's, he's uh, you know, hitting home runs every day, and he goes down, and he wins the home run derby in, in Miami, and um, there's they, there was a thought that maybe there's a book here to tell about this prospect who's uh, coming up and setting the world on fire and taking New York City by storm, and um, you know, I, I was kind of interested in doing a judge book, but the more we talked about it, I realized there was a, a better story to tell and um, it, not to just focus in on one player, but really how the Yankees were able to adjust on the fly because they, for years, they've been mired in this kind of hangover from 2009 where they were saddled with these big contracts. You know, the CC Sabathia, Mark Teixeira, Alex Rodriguez, um, the final years of Derek Jeter kind of finishing up his career. Um, watching the core four fade out and how Brian Cashman and the Yankees were able to take that team and 
Uh, I, I think that what they did in 2016 was very daring because they looked in the mirror. They said, we are not good enough to win the World Series right now. We've, we've got guys like A-Rod still on the payroll. I don't know why we have these veterans, you know, the Carlos Beltons and the Andrew Millers. I mean, we're not going to win with Aroldis Chapman right now. So uh, I thought that was pretty daring what Cash and Hal Steinbrenner did to kind of sell off at the deadline in July get some prospects back, build for the future. And um, it all came together. I think that Cashman would admit it came together faster than they, they expected it would. I don't think anybody expected them to be one win away from the World Series in 2017. But um, all that came as a perfect cocktail, and I thought that that was the story to tell, how the Yankees were able to adjust on the fly, get younger, kind of adapt to the changing world of baseball now. And and, and this really has become Brian Cashman's team. I, I think his fingerprints are all over this. You know, the days that um, when George Steinbrenner would say, you got to go get free agent X, even though he didn't want to. You know, I, I think Gary Sheffield is a prime example of the free agent that Cashman didn't want to get, and Steinbrenner said, you have to get him. And so I, I think that he's now got that autonomy. He's, made, he's building the team that he wants. And, um, I, I thought that was a story to tell, to kind of take readers behind the scenes and peel back the uh, the curtain a little bit into why the Yankees did this, how they did it, and you know what what it means for the future going forward. So, uh, and, and what the fun part was exploring, I think, how the Yankees were able to find not just Judge but Gary Sanchez, Luis Severino, telling the story of you know Greg Bird coming up through the farm system, and and really the Yankees for years were a team that. Uh, when you were a prospect with the Yankees, it was like, all right, I, I'm wearing the Yankee uniform today, but where am I going to get traded tomorrow? <laughs> I mean, that, that was the story of the 80s and 90s, um, the early 90s anyway. So I think that uh, what it means to be a young Yankee has changed now. And, um, you know, that was the story I want to tell. As far as uh, what I learned about writing the book, um, I <laughs> writing a book is hard, man. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot you have to organize. Um, you know, typically – during the day, I'll write in my day job here for MLB.com, I'll write two or three stories. And, you know, they're pretty straightforward, you know, 600, 700, 800 words, but they're focused on one thing um, to kind of interweave all these stories together and, and tell. Um, I, I enjoyed the long form writing. I, I enjoyed being able to tell a story rather than just give you the quick hit like Luis Severino has a shoulder injury and he's going to require a cortisone injection to tell the story and kind of go back in time a little bit and really encompass everything was awesome. I, I really enjoyed that part of it, but uh, there was a lot of late nights and uh, a lot of long interviews and transcribing and stuff. So obviously I, I enjoyed it because I did a second one, but um, it's a totally different muscle. I feel like than uh, my daily job of beat reporting for the Yankees. Hey, bro, I, I have a lot of authors on and I'm always curious with them while writing this book are you ever nervous that someone else is going to come out with a similar book like it and like kind of beat you to the punch yeah for sure um yeah i i think that especially when i if now to roll the clock back i remember while i was doing this uh, a couple people were coming out with quickie books on judge to, to try and capitalize on uh that rookie of the year season and how you know he exploded on the scene so i was actually very glad that we were doing something different and telling the story in a different way because I, the last thing I would want to do is put out the third Aaron Judge book that's <laughs> out there. So, um, yeah, I, I think that um, luckily for me, I know that there's a very small group of people who have that kind of access to the Yankees to tell the story that I wanted to tell. And I, you know, just I knew I see them on a daily basis. We have 11 beat reporters who travel with the Yankees every day. And 
Um, you know, I, I knew that none of them were writing a book. So I think that my guard was kind of down on that front, but you never know. You, you really never know. And, um, you know, I, I think that obviously with a team like the Yankees, there's such massive interest in it that um, it could have happened that somebody else would have beat me to the punch on that story. But I'm happy. Uh, I'm, I'm happy every day to look on the bookshelf and see my name on the baby bombers because it, it's something I'm very proud of. One thing that surprised you after writing the book, you're like, holy crap, I never knew what. Hmm, there's a bunch of them. But uh, the first story that jumps to my mind is uh, telling the story about how the Yankees were able to find Luis Severino. And he's 17 years old in the Dominican Republic. He's uh, he's down there. He comes to a tryout camp. And um, they, he's out there on the mound. And he looks okay um, he, his first inning. And, uh, you know, Donnie Rowland, who's the, the head of international scouting for the Yankees, is there in the dugout and watching him pitch. And he comes back to the dugout, and Seve is sick as a dog. He, he's got the flu. He's got the shakes, the cold sweat. He's throwing up in the dugout. And he goes back out there, and he, he fires a second inning, strikes out a bunch of guys and stuff. And that was the point where Donnie Rowland thought to himself, like, if this kid can do this while he's sick like this, I mean, this kid should be in bed. He's running a fever. I mean, this kid is a gamer. He's going to fight. And sometimes it's not just the results on the field. You want to see makeup with a, with a pitcher. And I never heard this story before um, Before I started doing research for the book. And so Severino pitches, finally he finishes pitching whatever he did. And uh, Donnie calls over the agent and says, let's do it right now. Like, let's make this kid a Yankee. And they wrote out the contract right there on the bench. Uh, you know, Severino's still got, like, the ice on his arm, and he's finishing up, and um, it, it did it right then and there because uh, he impressed him that much that day. And so that, that cool stories like that, being able to kind of roll the clock back, like I said, and, and say how, do, how does a major league team in, the, in 2017, 2018, how do they find these kids? So that was my question. How do they find these kids? How do they get to Yankee Stadium? And, um, yeah, I, I, could, I could go on and on with those kind of stories, but – um, you know, telling those was, was really fun for me and, and kind of, you know, going into the background of the players and telling stories that haven't necessarily been told before. It's released on audiobook. I saw that on your Twitter. Uh, did you do the audio? I did not. Um, no, I, so I, they didn't ask me to, but I did listen to a couple chapters and the guy who did it did a very good job. I was mostly worried that um, because he on the Yankees, in baseball, there's some names that uh, are not necessarily the easiest to pronounce. I, I know that my name isn't. I, I, I wish I had a dollar for every time that somebody called me Hawk or Holt or, you know, but, you know. Um, so I, I was happy to hear that they, they did a good job with it. And uh, I think, look, I, I just discovered audiobooks a, a year or two ago. Um, you know, I always knew that they were around, but. Um, never really gave him a try, and I, the amount of books that I've been able to read, quote unquote, while I've been driving the car and being on airplanes and stuff, it's been awesome. So, um, yeah, I'm definitely all for the audiobook revolution. Very cool. Second book coming out, Mission 27, a new boss, a new ballpark, and one last ring for the Yankees Core Four. It's not coming out till June, but I already saw it on Amazon. I saw it on your website. Do you approach the Yankees and tell them you want to write this book? Because this seems like kind of a definitive one. I think Teixeira wrote the forward. Do you approach them with that? Nick Swisher wrote the forward for this okay, one. Okay, okay. So Teixeira wrote, wrote the yes, forward okay. for the 
Tex did the one for the first one, and Tex is a big part of the second one, obviously. I mean, that was such a huge part of 09, but I didn't want to hit him for two forwards back-to-back. <laughs> and, and who better encompasses the 09 Yankees than Nick Swisher, man? You know, I, I when I close my eyes and I think about that World Series, and uh, I just see Swish, big smile on his face, running around the, after game six with a, holding the flag and uh, just the happiest man in the world. So I think that he, he was just kind of – he was really added something to that team that wasn't there before. And that was obviously such a huge year when the Yankees signed Sabathia and Burnett and Teixeira and, and Swisher as well and, and really kind of put them over the top again after missing the playoffs in 08 while they moved into that new stadium. So uh, to answer your question, no, I did not go to the Yankees and ask permission to write the book. Um, you know, Mark Feinstein and I were kicking around ideas, and this is something that I've had in the back of my mind since, God, probably 2013 or so. Um, you know, just re- when, I think when I started thinking about it was when you see Mariano Rivera retire and Andy Pettit retire and then Derek retired the next year and Jorge had already retired by then. And it's kind of like, ooh, the core four is over now, guys, you know. Um, and, and 09 was the last time that they won. And so I think that, you know, four or five years later was too soon to write it. But I think that 10 years later is enough time that um, – Gosh, the Yankees only have two guys left from that team. There's been massive turnover, so uh, and CeCe's retiring this year. So I thought it was the right time to, to come out with kind of a, hey, remember 2009, a, kind of a retrospective, and let's tell the stories that couldn't be told at the time or, or wouldn't be told at the time. So uh, tracking down the guys from that team and uh, the front office executives and who were there, I, I think that it was really – that was – we had a whole lot of fun. I'm glad I had a co-author on it because we were able to be in two places at once and kind of track these guys down in record time. But, um, you know, to answer your question, no, I didn't ask the Yankees, but I definitely asked everyone connected with the Yankees to talk to us for the book, and uh, we got a lot of them. So uh, telling the story of how the Yankees closed the old stadium, moved across the new stadium, and I, I feel like the stadium is as big a character in the book as – Sabathia, Burnett, A-Rod, any of these guys, because, I mean, that was just a momentous time in Yankee history. We may never see them move to another Yankee stadium, not in my lifetime, maybe. So, um, just very, there was a lot going on that year, and, um, you know, on a personal note, that's when I met my wife, too. So, it was a uh, it was a huge year for me, uh, personally, and a huge year for the Yankees. I know you're not going to tell me who the most difficult player was to interview. How about the easiest one? Was it, was it Swish? <laughs> Swish was a lot of fun for sure. Um, I, I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, it, there is just no off switch on that guy. He is a, I think we <laughs> refer to him in the book as a human can of Red Bull. And uh, we say that every day is his 12th birthday. That, that is definitely in the Swisher chapter. And so uh, a lot of exclamation points in that one. And he was, he was just great to, great to work with. You know, we, uh, we approached him about doing the floor and he was like, yeah, bro, that would be amazing, bro. You know, <laughs> Very, he was. It, it took no convincing on our part. So uh, I think he was honored to to be thought of in that light. That he was kind of one of the guys on that team. And and so I I, I think that he's up there. Um, one of the first interviews we did together, Mark and I. Uh, Mark Teixeira had us go to Connecticut, and we drove to you know Texas office out there in, in Connecticut, and sat down with him for probably two hours in in his office and. You know, it's funny. He's got uh, – he's now – there's almost nothing about baseball in his office. He's got a, a kind of a development that he's working on, kind of a commercial, a commercial real estate development in Atlanta 
He's got a big frame poster of that, and he's this picture of him and Warren Buffett. And so, like, to to go from, hey, you were the first baseman of the Yankees, to now he has completely turned the page into this post-baseball life. And um, I think that if you've seen him on ESPN and read some of his comments, I mean, he, he's very outgoing and, and forthcoming. He's the, the guard is down. So we were able to get a lot of good stories out of him. Um, honestly, I, I really enjoyed – going to the network studios and sitting down with Joe Girardi again. Um, you know, I, I think that the wounds were still fresh from his parting with the Yankees, but to kind of revisit the best time of his Yankees career, he was happy to do that. Um, and, and I'll tell you the story. I'm probably not going to believe it, but Alex Rodriguez was amazing. Really? Uh, talking to him. We, amazing. Um, we, we went in, and this is all in the book, but I'll tell the story anyway. We, so we go, Alex, we're supposed to do a phone interview with Alex, and we get a call probably two hours before it's going to happen, and, and uh, his PR guy says, Alex would rather do it in person with you guys. And I'm like, okay, great, wonderful. So we'll come meet us at his apartment building. He just got a place in Manhattan with J-Lo. Uh, they had moved in together, and so he meets us in his 16th floor conference room. There's a big billiards table. Um, he comes out in a three-piece suit because he's Alex Rodriguez and um, says, hey, guys, how much time do you, do you need? And it's like, well, uh, no, he says, how much time do you have? And I said, as much as you have, Alex. And he's like, all right, well, listen, Jennifer just called me. She's, she's going to be on Fallon tonight, um, and I've got to be there when she gets in the makeup chair, so can we just do it on the way to Fallon? Uh, so fast forward, we're talking in his car. Alex has got this Mercedes-Benz uh, Sprinter, and we're going through the streets of Manhattan, and we're talking about 09, but we're, at, at some point it's kind of like, what is happening? This day is not at all how we envisioned it was going to be, and um, we're parked outside 30 Rock, and, uh, you know, J-Lo was coming from Brooklyn, so we had some time, and um, just sitting there kind of talking about the old days, and I think that what you'll see in the book we did not filter out the curse words. There's a lot of F words in this book because that is how ballplayers talk, and especially Alex. Um, I, I, I wanted it to be as authentic as it could be, and um, he did not hold back. He told his stories. Um, that was obviously, if you remember, a, a momentous year for him. It starts with him getting busted for steroids and being the, you know, the lowest point of his career and being outed as this kind of fraud in his words. And then he somehow... Well, first and then he has career-threatening hip surgery, comes back, hits a home run on his first pitch, um, you know, finishes with 30 home runs, 100 RBIs, and goes and has the fantastic postseason and wins the, the first and only World Series he ever would. So, I mean, I think that talking about that year for A-Rod, he really enjoyed it. And, um, you know, he enjoyed it so much that we want, we followed up again after the uh, the one in the car and we did another phone chat with him. So, I mean, we got hours with Alex and – um, I, I think uh, we told a lot of stories that were not told at the time. So uh, I'm, I'm very excited about that. I've had you on for a bunch. You give me like 10 more minutes of your time. Sound good? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I'm here. All right. You see, on, fun. You see on Twitter, George Steinbrenner would have never left, let this offseason go without signing Machado or Bryce Harper. True or false? Hmm. Probably true. Probably true. I, I think that it would have been hard for – George to turn, I, you know, I kind of hate that whole narrative about, you know, if the boss was alive, this would never happen, but I hate that because people overuse it, I think. But in this case, that's probably true. I think that, um, it would have been very difficult for him to resist having these two shiny new toys out there. And, 
Um, you know, George always said that uh, New York is a city of stars. I mean, dating back to, to Reggie Jackson, you have to have stars to, to kind of put people in the seats. But I think the game has changed so much now and the penalties are there so much that um, the Yankees are probably fortunate to have Hal Steinbrenner running the team rather than George Steinbrenner at this time because I think that um, I don't know if George would have wanted to put a 500 or $600 million payroll out there, which is what you would have to do if you were going to sign all these guys that you're talking about. Um, I, I think that, look, the, the book, The Baby Bombers, never gets written with George Steinbrenner because they would never go forward with a Miguel Andujar at third base and a Glaber Torres at second base. And they probably wouldn't trust Aaron Judge to play right field. You know, I, I think that, um, you know, there was a reason that the Yankees had such a drought of championships. They didn't appear in a world series after 1981 again until 96, because I, I think that there was a real residual impact to giving up on, uh, these prospects. I mean, you know, the, you remember the Seinfeld clip, you know, about you know, <laughs> why the hell did you trade Jay Buhner? Um, but I mean, you had Fred McGriff. I mean, obviously they had Don Mattingly, so they were set at first base. But there was a there's a long list of prospects that the Yankees had their hands on, gave up on, and and didn't really get a whole lot in return. Um, I, I think that this is a different way. The Yankees are run more like a cost conscious uh, organization right now. Um, but at the same time, I, I laugh when people are saying, you know, the Yankees are cheap because they didn't get Machado or Harper. <laughs> They've got a payroll over $200 million. They're going to pay the luxury tax again this year. And l- let's not forget, I mean, we're what, 13 months removed, 14, 15? They went and got the guy who had the biggest contract in the game in Giancarlo Stanton. So um, I-, I think that the cheap narrative doesn't work here. But short answer to your question, I think that, you know, in, in this kind of vacuum world where George Steinbrenner is still alive and running the Yankees, they probably do come away with Harper or Machado or maybe both. How about one player you thought was going to be, like, special, but for some reason or another never panned out? Hmm. Do I have to pick just one? <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I think uh, you know, the first one that comes to my mind is Jabba Chamberlain. I, I, nobody... I've never seen anything like that 2007 with Jabba. I, it was like a cheat code. It was Joe Torre had a get-out-of-inning-free card. It was amazing to, to see him uh, call up Jabba, this, this kind of husky kid who came out of nowhere, um, basically promoted right from double-A, I think. And um, He was like a year or two removed from pitching in the College World Series, and he is just making big, big league hitters look silly. He's got this fastball-slider combination – um, nobody can touch him and I, until the midges came in Cleveland that year. And, uh, but you didn't think that that was going to be the high point for Jabba Chamberlain. And um, I, I think that – and we talk about this in the Mission 27 book. Jabba was good enough to give us a lot of time too. Um, but I, I think Jabba really enjoyed being Jabba in New York City. And, and when you're in your early 20s, mid-20s, you got some money in your pocket, you're single, uh, you can get yourself in some trouble. You, you have some late nights out there a lot of late nights in his case. And, um, you know, it's, it's too bad because what he was at 21 and 22, I mean, man, he was filthy. He was electric. And you, you wish that it would have turned out differently for him. Um, but I think that uh, there was just too much noise in his case. And then you, you build in the whole thing with the Jabba rules and going back and forth between pitching, uh, starting and relieving. Um, he didn't really know which way was up a lot of the time. Um, so I think that the Yankees are partially to blame there. But I think at the end of the day, Jabba, he'd tell you. He told us, you know, you look in the mirror and 
you say, all right, maybe I wasn't as focused as I should have been. Um, maybe I didn't get the most out of my talent that I should have because um, it, it's kind of sad to, to look at. You look up and how old is he? He's probably 34 or 35. He could still be pitching in the big leagues right now, and instead he's uh, he's back in Nebraska running a bar, which we all talk about in the book. So um, I, I think that that's the first story that comes to my mind of like, wow, this guy is going to be something, and then it, it did not turn out living up to what I thought it was going to be. Any memorabilia you kept? It doesn't have to be an autograph or anything. Any memorabilia through the last maybe 15, 20 years doing this? I got some stuff, yeah. I, I mean, I remember the last day at the old stadium. Um, I finished writing, and I probably wrote a ton that day, I, I would imagine. I remember it was about 1.30 in the morning, and I came down to the field. I saw some people kind of milling about the field there, and I, I went into the uh, the dining room that they had in the basement there, and I grabbed a coffee cup, and I, I went to home plate at Yankee Stadium, and I filled that coffee cup up with dirt. <laughs> and um, and I still have that stuff. I went to Container Store, I think, and bought a bunch of vials, and um, yeah, I gave it out to family and friends and stuff, but I still got a, a bunch of that dirt for myself, and that's that's still on my bookshelf. Um, I'll, I'll always keep that. Um, uh, the fun part about that night was – I remember then going out to my car. I had my glove and uh, a couple balls and uh, went out and wound up playing catch with some of the other writers uh, on the infield at Yankee Stadium oh and throwing off the mound and stuff. And it was it was, it was was a fun night. It was, it was 3.30 in the morning, and I'm pitching off the mound at Yankee Stadium. And I got a great picture of that. There's a, uh, there's a case of Bud Light beer behind me that somebody, <laughs> I guess, had been opening up and drinking on the field. And there's a bottle of champagne behind me. And I'm just, you know, in full wind-up, throwing off the mound. And it's a, it's a cool photo of the last night at Yankee Stadium. And you can still see the clock. The scoreboard was still on, and the clock says, like, 3.21 a.m. Oh, <laughs> so that's awesome. It was pretty cool. Yeah. yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, Yeah, I got – you know what? Every time they, there's a champagne celebration, I will reach down and I'll grab one of the corks. Okay, um, that's cool. That, that pop out. So I've got those two, and I've got those lined up. So those are my kind of – you know – it's not all about autographs and photos for mm -hmm. me. Not really. Um, I, I, honestly, they don't let us get autographs anyway, but um, yeah, I, I would feel weird asking a guy for an autograph. I, it's just not something that I think about, but those kind of mementos that you can hold in your hand and be like, Oh yeah, right. The celebration, this one was, you know, the ALCS or this one was uh, the wild card celebration. It, it's kind of cool. It takes you back. And um, like I said, it, it I definitely, uh, those are things I'll hang on to forever. They might not have a whole lot of value for anyone else, but they do for me. How about this? You and I are at a bar. We're hanging out. Who's the coolest person in your phone that if you texted them, they would text you right back? Hmm. Wow. Um, coolest person. <laughs> um, you know what? I, I think that uh, you, you might be impressed by, you know, a, I, any one of these guys from the 09 team, yeah, I, I think that you know if we texted Alex or Swisher or uh, you know Teixeira, I, 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 I'd say CC Spathia, um, yeah, I, I think we could probably get a text back from any one of those guys. Brian Cashman, um, you know, uh, Aaron Boone, Joe Girardi. All right, you got everybody. <laughs> yeah, those guys are on my phone, so I don't, I, I don't want to just pick one, one of them. I think they're all pretty equally cool. I mean, it, it and that's I kind of have to pinch myself because. You know, you asked me about how I got started doing this job. And if you told 18-year-old me that I was going to be having that exchange with you right now and talking about who's in my phone, I mean, no. I, that's just not real life. Uh, 
So it, it, to, for it to be part of my job description to talk to these guys on a regular basis, um, yeah, I'm, I'm very fortunate to do what I do, and hopefully I never have to do anything else. I know you're active on the app Goodreads. What are you reading right now? I know you're a big reader. I, I, I try to be. Like I said, you know, it's, it's kind of hard during spring training. Um, but I, the, what I'm reading right now is a book about uh, the formation of the FBI and um, kind of the, the kind of elite crime squad there. Um, yeah, it's, sometimes you just want to turn off the baseball faucet and uh, kind of wander into something else. So that's what I'm reading right now. Um, I've got a stack of baseball books that I have to get to. Um, I, I know Tyler Kepner wrote one that I, I'm looking forward to reading, and it's kind of um, all about the origins of every pitch in baseball, and he tells some great stories, and I flipped through that a little bit. And, um, so I, I'm looking forward to getting into that. Um, there's a whole – there's a slew of them. I, I know that David Cohn has a new book out uh, with that he wrote with Jack Curry that I'm looking forward to reading, and I got an advanced copy of that, and I'm uh, definitely going to dig into that. But right now I'm – in the world of the FBI, and um, well, what's the name uh, of the just, what's the name uh, of the book you're reading? Gosh, uh, I wish I knew off the top of my head. I uh, I'm reading it on audiobook right now. I'm, I've got it for Scribd, and um, sorry I don't have it for you exactly, but um, it, it's good. I'm enjoying it. I think oh, you know what? It's good. it's Mindhunter. Mindhunter. It's the one that's uh, the new Netflix. Series yes, yes. I, so, I think Edwards is it. Edwards yeah. wrote it or something. I believe so. So. Um, yeah, no, it's good. Uh, I, I'm enjoying it. I'm about uh, 80% through of it. I'm definitely enjoying reading it. Okay, I saw you on with Mad Dog Chris Russo the other day, and you crushed it. But I don't know if you're a betting okay. man. I'm going to give you two quick ones. Yankees over under 96 and a half. Wins? Yes. Over. Over. <clears throat> I, I've got them at 103. Wow. So, and ha- I'm listening. I mean, they won 100 games last year, and they had you know significant injuries. You didn't have... Aaron Judge for seven weeks. He didn't. Gary Sanchez never showed up. Um, you know, I think that uh, if you have a full season of that team crushing the way they're supposed to, and and with that bullpen, I don't think that 103 is any problem. And um, you know, I I've picked them. You know, this was before the Severino injury, but I picked them to win 103 in the American League East. So um, I, I don't think that Boston is going to have as good a year. No team in the American League improved as much as the Yankees did. I know that everybody was waiting there for Harper and Machado to show up, but both those guys wound up the National League. So uh, I don't think anybody in the American League got better the way the Yankees did. The Red Sox certainly didn't. Their big move was to bring back Nathan Evaldi. They lost Craig Kimbrell, um, a couple other pieces there. Um, I I don't think that the Astros are better than they were last year, and the Indians certainly aren't. So, I mean, these are the powerhouses of the American League we're talking about here, and I think that if the Yankees stay healthy, that's always the huge question in baseball, but uh, if they stay healthy, they should have no problem getting certainly more than 96, and um, I think they're going to break 100 and be better than they were last year. Your Mets, 83 and a half. Ooh. Well, they're not my Mets anymore, but <laughs> I, I was just thinking about that. Like Somebody was saying Port, they were in Port St. Lucie for spring training, and I was like, man, I have not been there since. 2006, and I am not in any hurry to go back. Um, the last Met game I ever covered, I'm going to go off on a tangent here. The last no, Met good. game I ever covered was the Andy Chavez catch game and the Carlos Beltran looking at the call third strike in the NLCS. That was the end of my Mets career there. So that was it. And then uh, in 07, the Yankee beat came open, and I took that. So, yeah, they're not my Mets anymore, put it that way. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm going to say... What was the number? Eighty-three and a half. 
I'm gonna man, that's close. I'll say over, but not much over. I, I, I think they'll probably get to 84, 85. I should know this answer, but do you travel the whole entire year with the team? I go on most of the trips. Yeah, um, yeah. In years past, I have. So um, I'm tip. I've been to every stadium except the new Atlanta one. So um, yeah, definitely seen a lot of baseball in a lot of different states, and um, got a lot of hotel points and airline miles and all that stuff too. So. Um, you know, like I said, there's, there's a lot of perks to doing what I do. I, I don't love the 4 a.m. wake-up calls to make a 6 a.m. flight after a night game, after the Sunday night ESPN game. But, you know, those are uh, – you take the good with the bad. You mentioned uh, the video game, The Show. You and I are around the same age. That's your favorite baseball video game? Oh, man. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, if you want to go old school. RBI baseball. Talk about King- yeah, RBI baseball. I have the cartridge for sure. Ken Griffey Jr. baseball for SNES, mm-hmm. that changed the world. I remember playing like Tommy Lasorda baseball yes. in Genesis. So I go way back. Remember, I go way back with all that stuff. Bases loaded. Yeah, remember oh, those? The of course. Series? Hey, you, I remember yeah. the Tommy Lasorda one was really good because that's when the Tommy Lasorda was a great one. The ball down the line and stuff. I remember that one. Yeah, I think that was one of the first that had real players mm-hmm. in it too. I, I don't think it had the real logos, but it had the real players, if I remember correctly. So. Um, but yeah, baseball stars. I remember that one for SNES. So I, I probably, I probably had all of them, man. I mean, I ate, breathed, lived baseball growing up. I mean, it was all I, I cared about growing up. And um, yeah, I'm fortunate to now be able to call it a career and have it where I'm paid to have it be all I care about. Because let's be honest, if if I wasn't doing this, if I was doing something else, I'd still be watching baseball, and I'd probably be as rabid as as anybody out there. All right, here's what we're gonna do. We're going to wrap it up with this. Hopefully, we can do it live during the season whenever you're in New York. Jack Dempsey's yeah. gives me Jack Dempsey's gives me my own floor. We can do it private. And here's the bet we're going to make. Great. We're going to pick right now. We'll finish up with this. You know, AL MVP, all that stuff. The six major awards. Whoever wins the most picks out of you and I, the loser buys drinks. Sound good? Oh, man. I wish I'd had a little time to prepare for this. But, yes, let's do it. Okay. I'm going to write down the things. AL MVP. And I'm going to let you pick first. Okay. How about, uh, you know what, let me go Mookie Betts back-to-back. Okay, I'll go, I'll go generic. I'll go Trout. Hold on. I'm going to write down these picks. Okay. okay. NL MVP. NL MVP. Man, you are making this tough to put me on the spot. <laughs> Paul Goldschmidt. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll, go with, uh, I'll go with Nolan then. I wanted Goldie, but you can have him. AL Cy Young. Okay. AL Cy Young. Well, Snell was last year. Uh, it's probably not going to be Price. Uh, man, it's not going to be a Yankee, I don't think. So, uh, you know what? I- I'll go with the safe bet. Let me go Snell back to back. Let me just maybe that'll be my strategy here. <laughs> okay, I'll go Chris Sale. I'm going to write all these down and I'll text them to you. NL okay. NL saw Young. How do we feel about Kershaw, man? Uh, that's tough. All right, give me Kershaw. Okay, I'm, Kershaw. I'm gonna go with Nola. I feel like Harper is gonna rejuvenate that team and our Nola. I okay. th- I think okay. we're gonna have a draw with this one. AL Rookie of the Year. Does it have to be Vlad Jr.? Yeah. Well, is he gonna get enough playing time? I guess that's the question. Um, yeah, I wish I could. I wish I could uh, put Miguel Andujar back in there. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, give me give me Vlad Jr. All right, then I'll take Jimenez as the uh, as the the default and just the NL Rookie of the uh-huh. Year. Who are the candidates? Give me, give me a couple choices. Here. Well, I think the two are Fernando Tatis Jr. and Victor Robles. Yeah, 
Yeah. All right, I'll, I'll take Tatis. Let me go Vlad and Tatis. Let me do that. Brad, this was an absolute blast, and I mean this. During the season, we're definitely going to link up at Dempsey's. We'll have a few beers, and we'll talk some baseball. I'd love to. That, that sounds great. Hey, just do me a favor. Plug your Twitter, which is awesome. You give amazing Yankee insight, and you have over 82,000 followers. And plug your website for the books. Sure. Yeah, what can do. Yeah, I'm on uh, Twitter, at Brian Hoke, B-R-Y-A-N-H-O-C-H. Also on Instagram, same name. Um, Facebook, I got Facebook.com slash Brian Hoke. Uh, pretty easy to remember. And then uh, the website, Brian-Hoke.com. So B-R-Y-A-N dash com. Wait, you're not Brian Hotch? I thought... <laughs> <laughs> no. And believe it or not, somebody bought up BrianHoke.com, so I had to put the dash in there. <laughs> did they really? Some, somebody did. And, you know, I think that uh, there's nothing there if you go to it, but they probably wanted to sell it to me. And, uh, so, nope. Thanks. I'll take the one with the dash. My friend, this was an apple, absolute blast. Thank you so much, Brian. You got it, man. Anytime. Talk, talk to you really soon, brother. It. Thank Thanks. you. Bye. You got it. Bye.